from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. It's the Tiny House Podcast. <laughs> hey, yo, this is Michelle. This is Mark. <laughs> what did you do this morning? I don't know. I felt did you like Liberace special? just then. <laughs> wow, yeah. It's hard not to get energized when we do several shows in a row. I know, right? You come off the last show and you're like, damn, we're good. Yeah, we didn't get enough questions into that guy and get <laughs> all the answers that we wanted because we ran out of time. And that's great. That's but, always a fun problem to have. <clears throat> Indeed, it is. Perry Mark is sitting over there away. doing the... <laughs> Mark is, for those people that are outside the studio, which everybody is. Um, so Mark, <laughs> when we get to the end of the show, everybody, Mark's doing his, does everybody know what the hurry it up sign looks yeah, it's like? like? Mark's yeah. always like, hello, hello. We're we running got, out of time. We're doing the, the finger gesture uh-huh. on the other side. I got my five minute. I got my one minute. <laughs> <laughs> I got it all. His middle one. <laughs> his middle one. <laughs> Close it up, bitches. <clears throat> exactly. So I was looking up that tiny house, or uh, well, the Amazon thing. Yeah, yeah. Did you it's see it? Pretty interesting. It is kind of fugly. It's it is totally fugly. It's mm-hmm. the worst looking tiny house on the market, and well, maybe not the worst. Some of them, well, I don't. Some of them look okay because some they've kind of bunched them together, like some of the commercial buildings. Yeah, where they have more than one. Yeah, and- yeah. I've seen I've seen container homes that look nice. Mm-hmm. They they riff off the modern kind of look of a tiny home mm-hmm. and then they paint it really nice and maybe they leave like Maersk on the side of it which adds to the character and mm-hmm. shit like that. But that one, I would be disappointed if that showed up on my driveway. So for the listeners, Perry had mentioned in our last show that Amazon is now officially in the tiny house business. Um, business. They're going to they're drop a tiny house aka t- tiny, uh, container tiny load, house, mm-hmm. yes, tiny tiny load, load. <laughs> on your front yard. Uh, for $30,000. So, yeah. so we're sort of following up on that conversation. I haven't had time to Google it yet. So maybe I'll keep my opinion yeah. for the next show. Okay. Speaking of opinions. Not that it matters. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I'm assuming that you care what mine is. Okay. Julie noted. I got it. Check. Note to self. No. No, I was actually going to bring up what we were talking about off air about... Um, so the effect of social media yes. on tiny house businesses. Please Can do. Can we talk about that real quickly? If that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm up for it. I am. I am. You know, we were, we were talking about um, these RV haulers. So these RV, ha- RV haulers for the audience, if they don't know, it's a, it's a semi truck that usually it's like the 18 wheeler truck hauler that has been converted to pull fifth wheels. And because they, they're, they're rated for like 80,000 pounds, you're, almost unlimited by what that thing can pull. Design-wise. Yes, design-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this guy, the guy who, and I'm going to try and get him on the show because mm-hmm. he does really great work. This guy was lambasted on YouTube. This, this other guy who bought an RV hauler from this guy in Canada, beautiful truck, by the way, this conversion, did series after series on YouTube about how bad this RV hauler was when in fact... When, so so the, he did this series of YouTube videos and then the, the owner of the company, he put out one video countering every point this guy made. And at the end of that, the, the manufacturer's video, it was so obvious that this guy was butthurt. Or mm-hmm. there, was, right. there was nothing to his arguments. Right. And so it's like what you were saying, Michelle, off the air is that you know, social media has become this place where people with a grievance 
even a false grievance mm-hmm. can amplify that thing and tarnish the reputation of a, reputa- a rep- reputable reputable business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost painful <clears throat> to watch. And I, I went through a similar experience with an employer, actually. You know, years and years and years ago, um, I went through an experience with an employer. Um, and it was like, it was really, really disconcerting. You know, it's a great place and they do great work. Um, but they didn't do my, you know, they didn't do me justice, mm-hmm. right? So... Um, I, you know, it's so tempting. We'll just say it's really, really tempting to go on social media or to announce to the world yeah. or tell everybody how horrible they are when the end of the day, like you said, it's just kind of an individual butthurt grievance kind mm. of scenario <laughs> and it sucks, but it's, I think in many cases, it's no more, not much more than either a contractual misunderstanding, mm-hmm. um, a personality conflict, mm-hmm. um, or again, your inability to negotiate a contract that you know puts you in a good position that makes sense totally makes sense or a mental disorder well that's i was gonna say or it's amazing how much damage one person can do exactly on twitter or yeah. any place oh i see just yeah, right. you, see, you see what i'm hitting <laughs> I see there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. well but we're all sort of mental right we all <laughs> we are we are in the right circumstances issues. well we're all on this slide rule yeah. of mental stability and mental instability yeah. right and sometimes we move in the slide rule too, by the way. So. Right, right. And it's, it's interesting. The uh, mental inst- instability reminds me of the unstable nature of legality of tiny houses. I'm really reaching for this one. And, and we, have, we have a guest in the audience today, or in the, in the studio today who is a co-founder of a new company whose name is shared with a very famous housing magazine. And I'm really interested to see how they're getting around that. Um, <laughs> Patrick Quinton is here, co-founder of Dweller. Actually, it's not exactly the same, but it's really close. <laughs> yeah. And so um, the interesting thing about Dweller is they've done what Mark and I thought about doing <laughs> several years ago. We've thought about a lot of yeah, We have. <laughs> they, they build ADUs. It's kind of like the farming model on people's sidewalk strips. They build ADUs. Which we've also talked about. We, I know. They build ADUs. I was re- reminded of Chomper. Mm-mm. They build AD. How many, how many times am I going to say they build ADUs? They build <laughs> ADUs and put them on in people's backyards under a lease agreement. They dweller owns the ADU and rents out the ADU to someone who needs a place to live. And they sh- they dweller shares uh, the rental income with the homeowner. And so um, Patrick Quinton co-founder of this uh this brand new company is in the studio today welcome to the show thanks for having me glad to be here we are too we're glad welcome. to be here thanks so my first question is going to get right to the money how much of how much of the money are you taking and how much is the homeowner getting wow you do jump right in <laughs> bam <laughs> uh it's a common question so i'm happy to happy to dive right in uh this our, our arrangement is we we take 70 percent of the gross rent and the homeowner gets 30 percent of the gross rent and then we you know, pay ourselves back with that 70% and cover the cost of, of owning and maintaining the, the rental unit and any, any additional costs that may accrue to the, um, to the homeowners as, as a result of us being here, we reimburse them for that. So, you know, we, we sometimes we share utilities, things like oh, that. I see. So it's, so it's 30% plus Got whatever it. the costs are, but, but yeah, we think it's a great deal for, for homeowners who either don't have the money to, to put into an ADU or don't want to. They just, they, they would rather use their, oh, their money for I something see. else. So that's the advantage is yeah. that, hey, I don't want, I don't have the money. Just, I'll get to, I don't mm-hmm. have the money or the capacity to manage something like that. Exactly. And so here's this company that's going to do it for me. Exactly. And, and uh, although I'm not going to get 100% of the proceeds, I'll get 30. Yeah. And if you have to go and finance or 
and take on other costs to build it net net, you may end up in coming out exactly the same. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, that's true. Actually. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, but it, it's really a financing solution. I mean, yeah. just to kind of cut to the chase on it. So do you mandate that these are rented out uh, as long-term rentals or to what extent or short-term rentals, Airbnb, try it tiny, that scenario, or to what extent do you attempt to control the, the tenant or the eventual tenant? Yeah, it's a good question. So, just to back up a second, we, we actually sell directly to homeowners too. So yeah. we, we, we're basically, uh, uh, we make prefab ADUs and we install them. So we're a turnkey solution. People who want to just buy from us can do that. And then they own the unit like, and it's theirs. They can do whatever they want with it. They can mm -hmm. rent it out, not, right. or Airbnb or not. Any unit that we install and own under the scenario you described, it's we're, we're committed to long-term rentals. And so we, we don't have to, but we kind of feel like this is part of why we set this business is to increase the supply of housing and, in cities like Portland, and we want to add to the long-term rental supply, and not and not uh, put it into the short-term. Well, yeah. So that your 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 um, social purpose is really sound, and uh, you come from the Portland Development Commission, which is a quasi-government. Can we say it's that? It's a public agency. It's, public it's, agency. it's quasi-independent. That is where Thank the quasi you. thing floats yeah. around. But yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's an it's an arm of the city government of Portland, and uh, and yeah, I, I mean, I left there about a year ago. I really wanted to do something in the private sector, but wanted to maintain some kind of social purpose with mm -hmm. the work we're doing. I mean, mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're a for-profit business. We're trying to make, we believe there's money to be made in this, but we also think we can solve, you know, what's I think is a housing crisis in cities like Portland at the same time. Better than sitting in the government trying to solve it. Right, Mark? <laughs> I'm not. I'm staying off it because I like Patrick. So I'm not just going I still have friends. I still have friends back there. I'm not going there right <laughs> So okay. So this this is you. So this is your company is only operating at this moment in Portland. Is that correct? Correct. And and part of is part of that because we have such a robust um, atmosphere. I could say for ADUs at the moment. Yeah. I mean, first off, let me just. We're, we're a startup company, so we. We're starting in one market mainly because we're new and we, and we have to, you know, kind of get our, our feet under us first. But yeah, we believe Portland is the best market right now to do this, both in terms of the demand and the, and the you know, the, the kind of community feeling around it, but also policy-wise. I think the city government, I, you know, I do think it's fair to say they've done a great job in encouraging the ADU market. And so we believe this is, this is a great market to start mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, are you a politician? You're not, you weren't, you if were you elected. PDC, were you, he kind of no, has to be. I don't though. think he was though. You weren't elected, right? I was appointed. You were appointed. That's appointed, what I thought. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you—that's a loaded question. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Are you a politician? <laughs> <laughs> but any government body, I mean, or any any sort of <clears throat> company that works as closely with the government body, politics or not, you have to understand them. Mm -hmm. Right. And well, I was going to ask, I'm kind of feeling kind of hot over here. Is, okay. it, is It might not be in my mic, but my headphones for down. sure. That's it's okay. that big chandelier right in It is. I'm, I'm feeling kind of Liberace. Like, I don't know what's going on. Where's Mark Mark Wahlberg when you need him to like bluff me up or something? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you saw the movie. Yeah, yeah, you did. Um, so I was, with regard to the politics, I was asking that because I'm wondering if you are, if, if, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. If if the if the answers you're giving are going to be couched in the context of where you come from, and so like if I ask you, for example, what do you think about the new policy that uh, Chloe Chloe made about allowing people to live in their RVs and tiny houses parked in people's private property, and and does that threaten the uh, the thing that you're thinking of that you're doing with Dweller? I mean, I 
I, I, I certainly happy to answer the question. I, I, I think it's generally a good policy. I don't, I, I don't know that I'm versed enough in kind of all the issues around having, you know, letting people just park RVs, whatever. But I do believe that that's, that's something that need to get, needed to get reconciled, particularly, you know, some of the tiny home stories about people wanting to have, you know, tiny homes in their backyards. I think if there's, you know, we live in a, and I think this is not just true of Portland. We live in cities that need to become denser and a lot of the open space sits on people's properties. Yeah. And so anything we, any way we can do to allow that to happen in a way that works for neighborhoods, then I, then I, th- I'm, I, we're in favor of it. I mean, it, it's certainly, you know, our business models premised on <clears throat> land, our land for our real estate company is people's backyard. Yeah. So um, I certainly support other ways to make it happen. And I don't think in any way competes with what they're doing. I think these are different, different markets, different mm-hmm. households have different, different sure. desires and needs. So, yeah. Um, I think it's, you know, overall, I think it's great. I think it has to happen. I think yeah. you have to get comfortable with that kind of density. Right on. I think um, what the new, what the new Portland backyard RV policy is reflective <clears> of, <throat> and, and of course, again, what inspires you is the motivation behind the solution. Um, you may be motivated by doing the socially responsible thing and providing housing for people that probably can't afford an, an average apartment or home in that neighborhood. Um, but the reason why I asked the question I did earlier mm-hmm. is because of the fact that there's actually a tiny house company that is actually purchasing um, tiny houses wholesale and then going to the various um, homeowners and sort of doing a similar thing. Mm-hmm. The caveat is, however, in their business model, they're requiring that it is rented out on short-term rental on Airbnb or VRBO. Oh, interesting. And, mm-hmm. and the logic there, I've been negotiating actually a couple of these or helping negotiate a few of these sort of contracts and working with the, with the contractor and then working with the loan, the land owner. The caveat is, is that however, in that scenario, they want you to rent it out Airbnb because the upside is so much greater, right? I mean, there's just a ton more money to rent it out in short term. So that's why I asked the question is because I have a little bit of background sort of in a similar business model that's happening elsewhere or, or in a different um, universe. So, but I'll go back to the, question and that is you really felt strongly about the housing model and providing long-term rentals um do you find that that actually does it reduce your partners your landowners overall motivation knowing that their that their piece or your piece is actually much smaller than it could be had you allowed short-term rentals um you know we don't i I think that's going to show up long-term demand there's plenty of demand right now for for what we're offering and um you know homeowners who once again, for whatever reason, can't, you know, can't, can't get there on financing an ADU on their own. I think they're happy with, with the income stream regardless. Um, you know, it, yeah, of course you can, you can maximize profit on, on, a, on an ADU if you put on the short-term market, but um, I, I'm not sure, you know, this, the city right Portland right now, and, and I, I would encourage other communities to do this has waived the, the what, what are called, system development charges, but yeah. the impact fees that are charged in new development. I think there's a trade-off in, in that. I think the city is, is right now saying, hey, we want to encourage this kind of development because we want to increase the housing supply. We think our side of it is our job is to produce long-term um, housing units and the city can take away that waiver next year. I'd like to be able to make the case that, look, ADUs are a solution for long-term housing supply. You should keep the waiver. And so that's that's why we're doing it. And I, you know, what's great about Portland homeowners, Portland homeowners almost to a person get it like they mm-hmm. they really are like it's this values-based community and it, it's astounding how many yeah. people i meet in every neighborhood of the city random homeowners they get like density and 
housing supply and the difference between short and long term and what it means for neighborhoods. So it's just a great market to to be able to to operate in. And and like I said, they get it. That's yeah, good. I I agree. This is a really really I don't know how unique it is, but really I guess laudable or. Uh, appreciative or I'm not finding the right word, but no, that's very cool. And the yeah. folks who really, who really want, like who really want a short-term rental, they're going to buy it. They're going to, they're going to offer to buy it and exactly. then they can do whatever they want. Right. right. And, and I should point out that we have a buyout. So our, our, our lease model, as we call it, um, you know, when we put it in your backyard and we're owning manager, you can buy it out at any time you want. So, so homeowners might let us take the upfront risk five years in, they might, for whatever reason, have the funds or, or they're ready to, to make the investment and they can buy us out and they yeah. can, once again, do whatever they want. Mm. So when did you start the company? We started it about nine months ago. How many people, how many home, how many backyards are you in? We're in the process of putting in our first two units. Oh, okay, so great. So we're really, really early, but we're, we have two units and those are both for sale units. So we're mm. uh, the first two homeowners that signed up, really wanted to buy from oh, us. But we have two more ready to go uh, who will be our first ones that we manage. So last question. Um, so the, <laughs> the, um, no offense, the, the design that you have on your website, that house doesn't look very nice to me. Do you, do you, do you, do you have different types of designs or do you, is it all one type of thing like that Amazon container? Not trying to compare you to that crappy piece of thing that the Amazon sent out, but it's fine. No, it's fine. No, I think it's you are not a politician. I know, I'm not, and, and I will never be. <laughs> no, I. For, so yeah, we're, right now we have one design. It's a 450 square foot unit. It's a it's prefab, so it's built all, entirely off site. Um, it's 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 wood frame construction. It's built the way you'd build it on site, but it is built uh, obviously in a in a factory. And just Amazon has the same issues. If you're going to transport something, you're stuck with yeah. certain dimensions. Yeah, so yeah. Oh, so, right. so yeah, it's a standard design, and there are many beautiful designs out there and there's one, architects doing great work around mm -hmm. ADU. So, so we're trying to offer something that kind of fills out the market. So people who really are into design and want something really particular, something customized, obviously if they have the money to do that, we, I, I encourage them to do that because I don't want to be the person who stands in the way of their dream backyard ADU. But, <laughs> but we think that there's a big market for folks who are who like a you know a, a nice well designed unit, but it's it's not it's not something customized, um, and and like our financial arrangement. And you know, moreover, I, I think that the ADUs are expensive, right? So so people are so we have this great housing solution, but right now we're we're allowing most of the units to be priced one hundred fifty thousand, two hundred thousand dollars per unit here in this market. Um, that's a high hurdle for people. And so ours and ours, you know, units like ours come in at a much lower price point for people. Um, and I think that's important to open up the I market agree. to create a, to create a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And because what we want is we want a lot of people with, with ADUs and there's going to be the cool ones and there's going to yep. be the ones that are more standardized, yep. but we want to have a lot of them. We want a lot of people, both renters and homeowners to benefit from what we think is a great, a great housing solution. I get it. I just saw, I just saw in my neighborhood, there's a house and they build an ADU that's like a one third scale version of their house. It's identical, <laughs> but it's just a third of the size. People need to go for it. If that's what they want, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. I'm happy it's to so refer cool. them to a really great contract. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, I think design motivation changes based on what the functionality is as well. You know, my design yeah. motivation for my rentals is significantly different than right. the design motivation for something you're actually going to live in long term right. or 
or something like that. Because you're a slumlord. <laughs> that's, that's, the plan. <laughs> that's the plan. I was joking. I know you were. That's okay. Um, no, actually, um, my tiny house village will be anything but slum. Again, hopefully. But yeah. So I want to refer back to um, really loosely. I, guys, it was about six months ago or so. that There was an article that came out. Um, I'm going to slaughter this story. So was it the county that was suggesting that they were going to put $75,000 ADUs in people's backyard and the, the homeowner was going to allow, um, as long as the homeowner would allow someone that was previously homeless. Yeah, that's in Kent. Yes, that was in. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no, no. No, no it was a different in program. Yeah, different, it's a different, different program. program. Yeah, different okay. program. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So, the, again, the concept is I'm a homeowner. I put a $75,000 ADU, which the county, I think, builds or yeah. allows, hmm. and then the county pays for it. Then they take a person that's traditionally homeless. They put them in my backyard in the new ADU. And I agree to be that host for five years. And then at the end of that five years, I now own that ADU in my oh. backyard. Oh, um, That was a program that was either proposed or implemented. <clears throat> or again, I, it definitely got a lot of traction in the tiny house movement and social media and definitely mm. the Portland area. So was that at all? Is Are you either involved or did that help sort of solidify your perspective? of the market in Portland or how open-minded they were about ADUs and their function? Um, we're not involved, although I'm, I'm, I certainly know all the folks who were are trying to get that program up and running. It is a real program. They, I mean, they, I think they have their, they're going to put four or five in to start and they, and huh. their work. And I think they're getting close to identifying the homeowners who will participate in that initial round. Um, but it, so, so we kind of move forward on parallel paths, but it, it was confirmation on both sides that, we're kind of on the right track. I mean, their, their, their model is basically the same as ours. It's just with a different purpose and a different funding source. But, um, but you know, it, there, there's value in people's backyards. There's monetary yeah. value. Yeah. And you could unlock it in a variety of ways and for a variety of purposes. And so that program is just, it's a great idea because it's cheaper for, for the county to build units like that in someone's backyard than it is to build, you know, a, a multifamily you yeah. know, project to house people. Um, and once again, you have a community in which people are willing to do this. So they're basically giving their land for free for five years and then they get a structure for it. So, you know, I, I, I think it's all these different models are great ways to test the potential of this unused land that we have in our city. And, mm-hmm. and I think we're going to see more public programs like this. And then I think we'll see more competitors of, for what mm-hmm. we're doing. Totally the value is there and, and the market economics are there yeah. in, in cities like Portland. So I got a quick question about the business model. Um, this is almost a Michelle question. It might even be three parts. <laughs> Give them a pencil all, and a paper. They're all interconnected. <laughs> um, do you collect and then distribute the rent? Um, what happens um, once once you're kind of brought whole? So it's a 70-30 split now, but is there a point in time that that changes if you continue to manage it and kind of do the marketing on their behalf? And the third one, kind of related again, if they just sell their house in three years, what happens? Um, all questions that, that, that come up. Um, so the first one is we, we'll, we'll manage our, our units just like any other rental unit. We have a, we'll have a third-party property manager. They'll collect the rent and then we'll distribute out the, the, the 30% back to the homeowner. Um, the, second, the second question was, darn it. It I does the proportion change. So we do yeah, have, yeah. we have a buyout. And so the way it works is we, we enter into a 25-year lease with the homeowner and there's a buyout at any time for the homeowner and the buyout is structured to decline 
in increments over that 25 year period such that at the end of 25 years, we're done. And, mm. and so that, I mean, that, that, that's a big number for people, but that really is for, for us to take on that risk. That really is kind of the, the, the timeframe we need. So it, homeowners should be indifferent to whether it's the year one, year five, or they wait till year 25. They, they, and, you know, they can buy us out at any time or they can wait us out. At 25 years, it's there as we walk away and, and, and everybody's, mm-hmm. everybody's good. Um, and what happens if they sell it? Oh, I'm sorry. Sell it. Why am I, I, mean, I guess. having yeah. a tough morning? That's uh, okay. If they sell it, so it's a, it, the lease is recorded um, on the title. It's not a, it doesn't, um, uh, you can have, you know, first and second mortgages ahead of us, but it has to be either transferred to the next homeowner. Or we have mm-hmm. to be bought out at that point. Um, and, 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 and we'll see. So obviously we're new. We'll see how that plays out. I think that they're, you know, I, you know, one of these philosophical things, I think we're going to, the market is evolving for, for homes where people are going to be looking for ADUs, right? So, <clears throat> so it could be that people, this is an attractive thing. Somebody, oh, I'll step into that lease and collect the income or somebody might say, nope, I, I want to clear it up. And then that gets resolved at closing. We, we get bought out and, and then they have a house with, a, with an ADU mm-hmm. free and clear. Patrick, cool. I got into your program and this, the, the, the <laughs> I'm, a, I'm living in your ADU and the homeowner has this dog and there's dog poop all over the place and they smoke marijuana and I'm, I'm allergic to marijuana. What do you do when it's in a, how do you vet people that, that live in the tiny, in the, the ADUs? And how do you make sure if at all that the relationship mm. between the person who lives there uh, in the ADU is going to be compatible, compatible with the person who owns the, the, the main house? Yeah. I, I mean, I, we don't have any, any special answers on that <laughs> other than we're hiring experienced property managers who do a good job of, of, of leasing out units and managing those, those issues, um, uh, you know, I think if you manage a multifamily housing, or you manage a lot of property units, you, you know what percentage of your units are going to end up having issues and it's, it's a low percentage, but you will have them and then, and you manage those. And so, so we'll manage it like that. I know the homeowners that I talk to are very much, you know, okay, how, how are you going to figure this out? And, and what yeah, if you have these I issues? Bet. Yeah. And so we, you know, we have in our standard lease agreement that, you know, homeowners, it's, Kind of typical prohibitions on on different types of behaviors. And, wait, and, wait a and, second! And, wait a second! Wait, a, wait, wait, wait! What behaviors? You prohibit certain well, behaviors. Like, like, I mean, it, it will say you can't. You know, the the tenant can't sit in the backyard smoking smoking pot. I mean, like, I mean that kind of stuff. Really? Like, yeah. Even so, in Portland. Yeah, I mean, it's on private property. And so it's that kind of stuff. And um, you know, we we've. Uh, We'll allow people to have pets. I know that for homeowners, the pets issue can be, yeah. some people like it, some people don't, but we've been told that, you know, the, the rental market, I, 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 you know, it's new to me, but I guess there's a lot of pets. So, <laughs> so if you're going to say no pets, you're not going to be renting your units. So, um, so, uh, so, you know, so, but, but property, you know, our property manager was when I said, you got to chill on that one. The, like we manage it, but you know, it's all the time. Everybody has pets. It all it's all good. Yeah, you know, you're you're gonna have a much better, bigger pool of renters if you if you allow pets. So so we think it'll be it'll be a normal thing. Okay. Um. Uh. But yeah, some homeowners will be very protective. Yeah. And, and so that'll be a learning experience for us. And we we certainly won't try and force situations. So we'll try and make it. Do they want to? I mean, you've only got a couple instances so far, but do they want to try to meet ahead of time? Yeah. Do they? Yeah. Well, the first two that we have, I said, are for sale. So we don't. Oh, that's right. 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 So, um, so, so we've, you know, we did some iterations of our lease agreement on this. And one of the things we did change was we, we, we gave the homeowners the, and this is going to get kind of wonky here, but, but we gave (laughs) the homeowners the right to 
pick their tenant. So they could choose, they mm. could check a box, either they pick it, we still manage the unit, but they pick it, pick the tenant, mm. or, or 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 they leave it to us. <laughs> Wait a minute. So, I'm I'm going Aurelian here. <laughs> so 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 what we said to them was because this came up a lot and, okay, and, and sure. so we created yeah. the option and we said, Yeah, if you want to pick your tenant, we'll let you pick your tenant. But here are the rules. One, they have to be qualified by our property manager and kind of the standard sure. background okay. checks, whatever they do. Yeah. But two, you have to follow all fair housing laws. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. You can't be out there, you know. Yeah, just, picking and, based and, on race. And, right. and, yeah. and random homeowners are surprised at the things that are actually in the law, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. So, <laughs> like people say, I don't want kids. Well, that's the fair housing yeah. laws. <laughs> kids, right? so, so you have to comply with all fair housing laws. And then one other little provision that we have is that because we're, we have a lease agreement and, and when we take on the risk of renting the unit, we actually, we actually guarantee a minimum rent every month. So that if there is vacancy oh, or whatever, oh. and and we oh, nice. we, and we yeah. discount that. So for every unit, we look at it and say what's the market, and then we discount that number and we say that's your minimum rent. So I say no minimum rent. If you're going to rent it, no, I'm not going to guarantee you met. So yeah. so we create this thing in which if it's really important to you, you can do it, but you're going to probably learn that it's better if you let us do it. And yeah. and our property manager, and a lot of property managers are really good. They're better than I am. They're better than you are at picking tenants yeah. and managing tenants. Yeah, That's yeah. what they do. They're yeah. really good at it. Yeah. So I'm happy to let homeowners learn uh, and maybe learn the hard way. Mm -hmm. And if some really have a good situation, then that's great. And sometimes a family member, might be a family member. And, and, and the, mm. the other thing is they, oh, they yeah. have to pay a market rent. So we set the market rent. Mm -hmm. Our property manager does. But if it really is like mom, they want mom to move in. Mom wants to pay us you know, a market rent every month and mom qualifies hopefully mom does, <laughs> then, then, then that's a good situation, right? Okay. And, and, and as long as you don't publicly market a unit, you can, you can go directly to somebody and, and, and rent it to them. But for us, the, you know, we still have to have the financial side of it work and everything. So, so this is an issue that we have obviously we've thought a lot about. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. We've had a lot of conversations with homeowners. And so and I think we've, we've reacted and learned, but it'll, it'll be an ongoing Kind of sociological experiment. Yeah, very much so. So yeah. Michelle has a question, but I just want to—I just want to—just want to say that the—I'm—I'm I'm being purposefully aggressive, provocative. The, yeah, provocative because it adds character to the show. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Right oh, now. these it's are great like, questions. Okay, great. Okay. <laughs> okay, go for it. This Michelle. is like my—I grew up in a family that argued at dinner all the okay. time. So <laughs> okay, great. this is like—I feel really at, at uh Oh, he opened the family. <laughs> Sometimes he puts on his average cynical consumer hat, yeah. and, you know. So, <laughs> so I was actually surprised when you said, you know, Mark had asked the question, "What happens if the homeowner wants to sell?" I was actually surprised at your answer, and my brain always goes to one of the advantages of container homes or of course tiny homes is that they're somewhat mobile um container homes mm. obviously less so on some on some degrees they're less mobile um because of the fact that you have to get one of those little flatbed things and then you get a winch and it goes up on so in some ways they're less mobile because you have to hire a professional to move it but in other ways they're actually a lot easier because they're already built for that mobility mm. and like you said they're built within those travel restrictions right. So I was surprised when you said that if they sell the house, they have to they have to buy it or they have to buy it out. Why wouldn't you or what? what's the logic associated with why wouldn't you just go pick it up? Someone sells the house. They say, we're moving. We believe that having this ADU is for some, maybe it's pricing us out of the market or something. And mm. so can you talk a little bit about the logic associated with, because it seems to me you'd want to have a lot of more flexibility. Okay. We'll come get it and then we'll put it in someone else's backyard. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. So these are, I mean, ADUs are affixed to the ground, right? Mm -hmm. So there, there's a foundation, there's utility connections. I mean, it's a permanent structure. It's um, so, you know, it, it theoretically, not theoretically, we, we could come in and move it, but there's costs associated with that. I mean, and that's, you know, we've signed a 25 year lease. So, so somebody could, yes, that's an option. Someone could pay us to remove it. Oh, okay. So mm -hmm. that would be the last option, but that's an expensive option mm. for them because yeah, because the costs associated with with site prep and everything, well, they would have to reimburse us for that and and doing it, transporting it somewhere else. So huh. we just don't we just don't think that's really where people are at. We think that mm -hmm. that it's either gonna it's gonna be attractive to the home buyer in one form or another, either to step into the to the lease or to have it bought out and they own it outright and they collect that income. And I mean, I, that's what I'm saying. It's more of a, for us, it's thinking about the future market. We think the market is going to trend towards more and more home buyers mm. are looking for that ADU mm -hmm. property. Right. No, that makes sense. And, mm -hmm. and, and I even, you know, actually I've, you know, I have a partner who's, who, um, he came up with the idea originally. He's, he does a number of different businesses, including he does home building and he just does a lot of spec home building. And he says as a home builder, he, he, he will almost always build an ADUs now, even on spec homes, because he believes that that's just an attractive, if, even oh, if you're not going to rent it out. Or, right, right. But like you just have, you know, right. it could just be the kid's playroom, right, right. but it could also be the mother-in-law unit or right. it could hmm. be a source of extra income right. or whatever. So hmm. I really do think that that's where we're heading, particularly in these, in these, you know, kind of denser urban markets. Yeah. There's well, a again, my perspective is um, I'm literally currently negotiating with my landowner about who is going to be paying for and who controls the site prep of the excavation, the utilities and those kinds of things. Mm. So that's why I was asking that question too, because like, do they pay for it because of the fact that I'm of course paying them a percentage of my income, you know, to pay them back or do I pay for it and take 100% of the mm. risk, mm. even though I'm technically improving their property. So mm -hmm. again, that's my perspective is literally this week I've been, we've yeah. been working through the legally, not the legalese in my case, but working through sort of the ins and the outs of I'm going to have my place on your property. Right. Who does what, who carries what, who pays for what. Yeah, and you know, I mean, you, you would know from experience that the cost of a housing unit, and right. it's true for an ADU, you know, a big percentage of it isn't the actual house. Yeah. Right. So if you yeah. say, just move it around, you're, you're incurring this chunk of cost every time right. you do that. So, so that is part of the challenge in just making it completely mobile. Yeah. We really, it really becomes affixed to the ground and, and you have sunk cost. Okay. Patrick, uh, the, um, so Portland as a city has very, the rent's too damn high, some yeah. people will say. <laughs> so <laughs> it does, it, it's good in the sense that you're doing this startup and, it, and because the rents are high, you're able to make this mm -hmm. thing probably pencil out. But um, what, do you, what do you say to people who are like, wow, we really need, what we really need, Pete, is affordable housing. And, and if you're doing market race, well, then you're not solving the problem. It's a good question. I, I, we don't, we don't consider ourselves to be, you know, the magic solution to all the stuff. I, I believe that, you know, in the, you know, we need more density, we need more housing supply. We need to make it so that, uh, that underutilized land within this area is, is, is um, kind of brought back into to active use. And so I, so I think we're adding to that. Um, I also think that we add income to homeowners who, you know, who may need, additional income to stay in their houses or to afford where they live. So, so yeah, but, but for now we don't have the ability to, to offer, you know, discounted rents and whatnot. I, 
But um, you're not planning that as part of your well, model, no, are you? No, but 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 so once again, this so you look at the county's program where the county is is basically paying somebody to build them housing. Mm-hmm. I think there's a market solution for affordable housing with ADUs. It will take a little bit of public money, but to the extent that companies like ours and others can get good at building nice but standardized units mm-hmm. and can 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 re, can do that repeatedly and drive down the cost, then the the margin between offering something that's market rate versus something that's affordable, I think becomes pretty small. And I think that's where you can maximize public subsidy. Mm-hmm. So we'd love to be in that, you know, to be helpful down the road when we have our own processes figured out. Because I do think we can offer an affordable solution. Mm-hmm. And the same thing is happening. There's other housing innovators who are trying to bring online cheaper rental housing. And, you know, and, and so, you know, I, you know, I think that's part of the market is going to help on the affordable housing side as it helps drive down the cost of building housing. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's how we think of it long term. Mm-hmm. As an entrepreneur, how do you like to stay <clears throat> focused on the mission? Um, how do you, like you said, you could take this in any direction, long-term rentals, short-term rentals. You can go on in many, many different directions. As um, in the tiny house movement, um, we all sort of get to the point where we have sort of like this ADHD. Oh, look, bright new shiny thing, bright new shiny project. How do you stay focused and who else on your team? How do you as a team say, nope, we're not going to do, this is our core competency. This is our mission. Can you talk about the dynamics within the team and your overall mission and and how you work yeah, through that? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think it's the opportunity is what can be distracting. I think it's, you know, you know we, we, we think we have a model that can, that can grow beyond Portland. And so when you look around, particularly up and down the West Coast, you see what California is doing. They have state laws that are preempting local laws around mm-hmm. ADUs. So you can say, wow, these are big markets. There's, you know, and then you see different companies like Amazon jumping in. So you, you can get distracted by the opportunity. So I, you know, for, for me, and this is what I, you know, remind my partner about is we're, we need to build units. Yeah. Like right now we're about building. And if we're not building units, then we're, we're not, you know, so, so the building of the unit itself is, is like any other person in the real estate business or development business, you, you know, that's what you do. But based on the model that I've described, we know that if we put a unit in the ground, we, we think we're, we're having an impact. And over time, you know, we can have a greater impact by doing that. So that's how I stay focused. And, and, you know, I got reminded of that this week on Twitter, this guy here, he reminds, he says, Mark, Oh, Mark, what I do? <laughs> no, he puts out there, which which I've always I've always believed. He, you know, he says reminder to people who are doing social enterprises without margin, there's no mission, right? Yeah. So it's a great reminder. You you know, our job is to create a business that that makes money, that does this, and makes money so that we can continue to do it. And if we're successful at that, then we actually have we have the the flexibility to then begin to try and address other issues. But if we're not if we're not doing this this in a, in a profitable way that's sustainable, then, then we're not, we're not going to be able to have any kind of impact. So it's the, if you build it, they will come business model. <laughs> is, is, is that, uh, you're very optimistic, but again, the market, the market, not just locally, but nationally, um, sociologically, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. I think unless you I mean, this is maybe, this is controversial, but unless you're out there building McMansions or whatever, if you're building housing, if you're building yeah. housing that people need in this yeah. community, yeah. I think you're having an impact. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't think supply is the only answer, but supply is a big part of the answer. So, so I do believe that in the morning I get up and I think if we can put units in the ground, we're helping. And how, how, um, tell me what it's been like going from an appointed administrative <laughs> position in an office in some government building to, I'm not that bad again. In to, Old Town. 
to, to becoming an entrepreneur and doing your own thing? What, what are some of the highlights and the lowlights? Yeah, that's a, that's a great and timely question. It's, yeah, the worlds are, are so different. I, I mean, I had the good fortune in my old job of, and this is why I know Mark, is, from, is knowing a lot of entrepreneurs over many years. And so I got to witness the, you know, the, from afar kind of what they went through. So I had this intellectual understanding of what it was like to be an entre- entrepreneur and saw all sorts of stories. So I knew that, you know, you do everything. There are going to be good days and bad days. It's, you know, it's going to take longer than you think mm-hmm. you're going to, right? But so I experienced that every day. I experienced all that <laughs> stuff. So yeah, I mean, I, I used to go to work and, and I, I worked long hours, but it was all meetings mm-hmm. and it was other people doing the actual work. Mm-hmm. And so I could say, we'd be cool to do this and someone would do it. So there's a certain power and kind of efficacy and all that. <laughs> the king but, on high. But, but you spent your day in meetings, yeah. you spent your right, and you came yeah. home. And so, so yeah. there's that satisfaction. Everything that gets done yeah. right now is done by either me or my partner. And, <clears throat> and we have, you know, uh, kind of third parties that are partners. Everything gets done is ours. Every success is ours. Every failure is ours. And uh, so it's both a kind of a humility to it, but also a sense of satisfaction. And, and I'm now like knee deep in, you know, codes and things like that. Yeah. So, so once again, there's a minutia that I, you know, didn't deal with in my previous life. And there's <laughs> kind of both frustration and satisfaction to that. Like, yeah. ah, it's kind of cool to figure this out. So there's a problem solving part to it that, that I like, but yeah, I mean, you're the, I put CEO on my business card, but I could put anything. Cause I, <laughs> you know, it's that classic. Yeah, I, you I are I wash yeah. the dishes. Yeah. I write yeah. the, you know, so I send the emails. I meet with customers and, yeah. and, and that's the other great thing is, there's no separation between me and customers right. either, which you can have big separation in a yeah. job like mine where you're, you're, you're a couple layers removed from the yeah. people you're serving. Now you got that separation between, you know, paycheck. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to ask that next. But you're not still with the PDC. No, no, no. no, 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 no. Okay. okay. <laughs> I just want to tell, I just want to tell our listeners that, um, this is a very, very awesome show to be in the studio. First of all, we love in studio guests. Yeah, so thank do. you for coming in. But for people that aren't in this space right now, it is it is amazing. Everyone in this entire room is grinning, like like Cheshire <laughs> Cat grin, like <laughs> nodding and grinning, and like get it. Like we as entrepreneurs, we get it. As tiny space advocates, we get it. As really really passionate Portlanders, we get it. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to call that out to the listeners because I I just want to say how much I appreciate the dynamic of of this group, the yeah. dynamic of of who we are and what we're doing. Yeah. Um, every once in a while, I'm going to get like emotional. <laughs> so I, I, I'd like to change the subject a little bit um, and ask you, since you have the background you have and you're doing what you're doing now, what do you think about the homeless situation in Portland? Oh, wow. That is a, that's a loaded question. I, um, I, I've, I've witnessed, uh, you know, two mayors directly and now, you know, I'm still, you know, close enough to, to see what's going on with the third mayor on the homeless. So, so I, I think it's, I think it's, it's incredibly challenging and I, and, and I think it's easy to take pot shots from afar on what's happening in political leadership around it. I, 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 you know, knowing them personally, I think that they've all sincerely tried to do um, what's best. I, 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 I do believe that it's, that it's fundamentally a funding issue. I mean, I think we continue, not intentionally, but I think we just, we're not spending enough money in the problem. And, I, and I'm not suggesting I know where the money should come from, but or where but it should go, maybe. Yeah. Well, but Do you I know I where mean, it should go. I, I, you know, once again, I and not, I'm, I'm not. I know a lot of the experts in town, so I don't. I don't want any of them to think I'm. I'm, you know, saying that that I know more than they do. I, I think you need beds. You need housing. I, I, the more I read about, it, the more I hear about. It, I think that you know, 
getting people in 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 beds and and get roofs over, roofs over their heads. I think that's step one in solving this. And I think you've seen in other cities that cities that have done a successful job in that. Because I mean, there's a lot of talk about whether you need the wraparound services and all these other things, and you do. But if you don't put people, people, if you don't start by having somebody, you know, a, in a with, a, with a roof over their head, then it's hard to provide the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, there's the mental, the, the mental illness side of it, where you need those services, and there's a resistance in some parts of the homeless community to being housed. But, mm-hmm. but I think that's, I think that's an easy excuse for not housing everybody. I, I do really do believe that you know that the more beds, the more housing units we have, which is this the Kenton. which is like you know it's not just the homeless beds it's what's the next place and what's the next place do we have that continuum of housing so yeah it's 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 the hardest political decisions that you have to do which is you got to spend a lot Mm -hmm. of money on something and Mm -hmm. which means it's got to come from somewhere else Mm -hmm. where does it come from and and i know just know from experience that's the hardest thing to do um and i and i um you know i guess the other thing i would say is back to our or conversation about people in Portland. I think people in Portland generally care about this issue and want to see it solved. I think people naturally have moments of frustration and, or the people who are frustrated get a lot of attention when it doesn't reflect yeah. the, the vast majority of people in Portland. So I think it's a community that is mm-hmm. willing to support you know, increasingly dramatic solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we shouldn't get distracted by the way the media wants to create this conflict mm. over it. And, and mm. uh, I do agree with the you know, people who criticize the KDG, KGW tent city kind of storyline. I, I just, I, I don't think it's productive. Mm, I don't yeah. think it's, you know, LA has got 30,000 homeless. Yeah. I mean, Honolulu. I mean, there's, wow. and I'm not saying that like ours isn't important. I'm saying this is not a unique problem to Correct. Portland. Correct. We as a community, we as a city, we as a country, we need to, we need to, to figure out solutions and not, and kind of think about finger pointing mm-hmm. or saying that, you know, we're better than someone else. Everybody's dealing with, with, with basically the same, the same fundamental yeah, issue. That's true. Yeah. The, the, in addition to the money being spent and where's it going to come from? We, the other challenge is you, when you, when you spend that money, you're consuming a piece of land that otherwise is not able to be used for anything else. And one of the, one of the friends of ours um, was talking about, um, where do you find that land where you can put something that's not going to generate revenue for somebody? If you're solving a homeless problem, you're basically taking land out of industry, so to speak, whether it's retail home, retail homes or, um, or industry or commercial. And so it's a, cha- it's a challenge that a lot of people have problems with mm-hmm. about dealing with people who are houseless. Well, and then you look at Kavanaugh, who's trying to do kind of the mixed use space where some of the people are teachers and others that are going to be, that are getting kind of priced out. And he's doing kind of a little bit of a Robin Hood model where Mm -hmm. 80% of the people are paying kind of regular rack rate and others are going to be allowed to pay less, but the homes are all going to be the same, which is really important too. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't been on the other side of it and people looking for land and you know, my former agency owned land and other agencies owned land. There is a, once again, it's just like, it's a a money conversation Mm -hmm. because that is, if this land was meant to be sold for this purpose and now you're going to, you know, you know, use it to house folks, you're not getting in. That's a money conversation. Yeah. Oh, right. But I do think that's where the, it's innovation. When Mark, like Mark said, that's the innovation we need. There's, there's, there's land, right? This is the whole backyard conversation. There's, mm-hmm. you know, do an aerial view of the city mm-hmm. and, and look at all the open space and right. see where it is. All these backyards are open or, or other places where we don't, we don't, we have a maximized density. I, I, I do think there's a lot of innovation that needs to happen on the housing side. To find a place for everybody. I mean, we we want 
people want to live in this community and they want to live in other similar communities. Yeah. I think we have an obligation to find space for them, whether they're they have no income or whether they're just out of college or or just out of you know high school and they and they got their first job or whether they're retired. We we need to have be a city where everybody can can find a place to live. I mean, that's I know it sounds naive, but I really believe that that's that that means we're a successful city. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a great end to the show. Thank you so much for being with us, Pete. It's uh, Dweller is the name of your Dweller company. Dweller is it's not the same as the magazine. You're right. It's not the same <laughs> as the magazine. And yeah. if if for the Portland listeners, um, they can find you at dweller.com. Dweller.com. Yeah, dweller.com is, has, you know, kind of lays out our basic model and they can, that's the way they can get a hold of us. Okay. And then real quickly, if anyone is interested from outside of Portland and maybe having you guys expand, are you guys up for that or are you not quite? I'm happy to talk to anybody, learn about markets. Okay. That's my, that's our MO right now, but, uh, but it would be probably 2018 or, or beyond. Okay. So. For all of our Estonia listeners. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have, I've had an inquiry from South Korea. So oh, you yeah. have. Well, there you go. <laughs> that goes back to the focus question like, oh, bright, shiny market over there. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so there you have it, Tiny House listeners. Uh, another great show with an in-studio guest this time. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking with someone even cooler. <laughs> even cooler. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> There you go, Perry, making friends and influence. Oh, oh, man. I, I, I have teenage kids. I know that I'm really low on the yeah. pool <laughs> That's okay. So am I. We all are. That's a wrap. <laughs> see ya. All right. See you on the flip side. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> <laughs>